0: Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus and in the power of the Holy Spirit, we come before you now and ask for your presence to be with us. We say, come Holy Spirit, move in our midst. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be good and pleasing to you, rock and redeemer of our souls. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning. good morning. It's really good to be in Athens. Uh, the last time I was here wasn't a good day. It was about six years ago. It was at the Georgia Georgia Tech game where Georgia lost in overtime because of Mark Rick decided to do a little pooch kick there in overtime. It it broke my heart and I decided not to come back. No, I'm kidding. I just haven't had the opportunity to come back. I love Athens. Uh, As Daniel said, Father Daniel said, I was a graduate of the University of Georgia in 1998. I graduated high school in uh, 1992, which means that it took me six years to get my undergraduate degree. Um, I'm not. I uh, wasn't a doctor, or didn't get a master's degree. Then it just took me six years. Uh, I think that happens a lot in Athens, right? After I graduated uh, from uh, from college here, I moved back to Marietta. My wife and I got married uh, later that uh, next year, and uh, I was a school teacher. I majored in art. I was an art education major, uh, and I taught art at Norton Park Elementary School in Smyrna, Georgia for three years. And then I felt like God was calling me into ministry. And so I had been involved with Young Life in, uh, in college and in high school, and I lived in what now, I guess, has become the infamous Springdale House, um, which was a house that I guess now for like 25 years, there's been this unbroken string of Young Life leaders uh, living in this home. It was clean when I lived there. Uh, I drove past it uh, on my way here just to see it, and uh, yeah, it, it doesn't quite look like the same place it did when, when I was there. Uh, I taught, for, uh, taught elementary school for three years, then I went on staff with Young Life because I felt like that's where God had best suited me to ministry. Uh, it was a disastrous two years, I'm not afraid to say that. And after two years, I tucked my tail uh, and went running from the ministry, thinking maybe I had misunderstood God's call. And so I went back to teaching, I became an art teacher at Dalton High School in Dalton, Georgia, and was there for five wonderful, magnificent years. But it was there where I started to feel the call, not just to ministry in general, but to ordained ministry to pastor a church I wasn't sure what that looked like. When I was in college, I would drive out to St. Albans Episcopal Church in Monroe, uh, where I met Brandon, uh, my, uh, youth, or one of my roommates was the youth pastor out at St. Albans. This is where Archbishop Foley's church was. Uh, and because my friend Rick was the youth pastor there, we would drive out there uh, to go visit the Episcopal Church. And, and I loved it, I fell in love with the Episcopal Church then but it wasn't necessarily where I felt like God was calling me when Brandy and I got married. So we kind of journeyed around into different denominations and non-denominational churches. And we were at a small uh, church called an Evangelical Methodist Church, a small denomination in the Methodist tradition, when God called me to seminary from Dalton. We went to Asbury Seminary for three years in Kentucky. It was an amazing experience. But while I was there, I kind of felt like God was saying, I want you to check out what's happening in this Anglican world. I I was still friends with Archbishop Foley. I knew enough to know that something had happened, that there was some sort of schism and split, and that Foley was on the other side of of the split. So one night I was sitting on the stairs of the library in uh, Kentucky at Asbury Seminary, and I called up Archbishop Foley and this is before he was even a bishop, and I said, tell me about this whole Anglican thing. Walk it out for me. And we had about an hour and a half conversation, and when I hung up the phone, I knew that God was calling me to the Anglican church. Let me tell you why. This is what I have seen in the Anglican world and why I fell in love with this tradition. I grew up in the Roman Catholic church. And from an early age, I had a love for liturgy. I loved the things that we did. And when I would go and visit friends' Baptist churches, it seemed wonderful and it seemed nice, but I always felt like I was missing out on something. But when I got into high school and in college and was involved in evangelical uh, missionary organizations like Young Life, I realized that there had been something missing in my childhood church. I didn't know how to put that in words at the time. But what I had experienced was a sacramental tradition without an evangelical tradition attached to it. Now luckily the church that I had gone to was formed during the charismatic renewal movement of the late 60s, 70s, and 80s. And so I had experienced what it was like to be in a charismatic church as well. But I had never experienced a church that brought the sacramental, the charismatic, and the evangelical together. That is until I had gone out to St. Albans and experienced what was happening with Archbishop Foley preaching and leading a church. You could feel the power of the Holy Spirit moving in that place. The gospel was truly and boldly preached and the sacraments were celebrated. And even though I had had that experience in the mid-90s going to Archbishop Foley's church, it took me a while to make my way back there. You see, in the Anglican tradition, we call these things three streams. Have y'all talked about the three streams before? Maybe touched on it a little bit? So the three streams of the Anglican church, you have the charismatic, you have the evangelical, and you have the sacramental. These are three historic streams that have ran throughout church history. Unfortunately, most churches are comfortable only swimming in one or two streams. It is very few that allow those three streams to form together into one mighty and powerful river. But that's what we have in the Anglican church and St. Thomas, and in the church that I am starting uh, down in in Noonan, St. Barnabas, and the church that I currently serve at, the Mother Church, All Saints. You see, we stand in a tradition that upholds that God is at work in the sacraments weekly, in a tradition that says that we need to boldly preach the gospel, in a tradition that welcomes the movement of the Holy Spirit. I think all three of these things are evident in today's gospel reading. When the apostles go out in mission, they do three things. What do they do? They preach repentance, they cast out demons, and they anoint the sick with oil. All three traditions right there. All right, I'll use a, uh, since I'm in Athens, I'll, I'll use a Larry Munsonism. The beginning of every game, Larry Munson would say what? Get the picture, right? As he would describe the, the, uh, the field and what was happening and he would talk about how the different teams, what uniforms they wore, get the picture, is how Munson would start every radio broadcast. So here's the picture. Jesus has been doing ministry now for some time, but he has been doing the bulk of the ministry. The apostles at this point had only been following and listening. All the disciples and the apostles and all the throngs of people that would gather around Christ were coming to witness the ministry that he was doing. But now Jesus sends out the 12. And he gives them the authority to do his ministry. These 12 apostles who come from a uh, not a high reputable background. These were not necessarily educated men. These weren't guys that had gone through the University of Jerusalem. They hadn't gotten degrees. They weren't necessarily the brightest of the batch. But Christ chose to use these uneducated fishermen and tax collectors and thieves and zealots for his purpose. And he gave them the authority to carry out the ministry that he had been doing. And so off they go two by two. They go out into the surrounding towns and villages and they cast out demons and they anoint the sick with oil so that they would be healed, and they preach repentance. These are the three streams. Now the tricky part of reading scripture sometimes is trying to understand what is applicable to us and what is simply uh, the gospel writers and the writers of the epistles describing what they had observed, right? So sometimes people will look at a passage like this, they'll take it hyper literally and they'll say that pastors as they go out should always go out in twos and they should be poor and broke because that's what the apostles did. I don't recommend that you make your uh, priest poor and and broke. Um, Make sure that they are cared for. So what is applicable from this passage? Is it that pastors should go out with just a staff and not two cloaks? No, but it's that they should go out, all of us, each of us should go out in the name of Christ, doing his ministry by the power of the Holy Spirit in complete dependence on Christ And as we go out and we do that mission, a mission that every single one of us is called to do, not just the ordained clergy, not just the Sunday school teachers, not just those that happen to lead music, but every single person that is called to be a follower of Christ is called to go out and to be on the mission that these apostles were on. We are called to live into these three streams. The first stream, They go out and they preach repentance. This is about preaching the gospel that Jesus Christ came, that he lived his life, that he is the son of God, that he was crucified on the cross, that he died for the forgiveness of sins so that you and I could be reconciled to God. But in order to receive that reconciliation, something has to happen first. And that is that we must repent and walk away from our former selves. We live in a world today that doesn't much like the idea of repentance. We live in a world that loves the idea of God's love, a world that loves the idea of God's forgiveness, but a world that wants permission to stay in their behaviors that they once had. But at the heart of the gospel, is the idea that in order to receive the forgiveness that God freely gives, we have to relinquish our past, relinquish our old selves, and embrace the new that God freely gives to us. Charles Spurgeon said this, surely no rebel can expect the king to pardon his treason while he remains in open revolt. No one can be so foolish as to imagine that the judge of all the earth will put away our sins if we refuse to put them away ourselves. This is at the heart of the gospel. This is at the heart of what it means to be an evangelist. Now, if you have lived in Athens, unfortunately, you have probably come across a man named Brother Jed. Does anybody ever come across Brother Jed in the campus uh, uh, I don't know what, where it's called, right in front of a student center. Brother Jed usually comes about once a year. I don't know if he's still showing up. I know he was about six or seven years ago. Brother Jed would stand in the middle of the campus and he would point to people and he would yell at them to repent and he would say vulgar and horrible and awful things to everyone walking past. Brother Jed claims to be a Christian. Brother Jed claims that he is preaching Repentance but he is a mean-spirited man that is not walking in Christ. And a lot of us have images of the idea of repentance being like Brother Jed, Jed, judgmental, mean, and telling others that they are bound to hell unless they become nice and clean-cut like us but that is far from what the true gospel of repentance is. The true gospel of repentance says, leave away the things that hold you down, admire you in death, admire you in your own selfish ways, and embrace the life that Christ has for you. That's what it means to be an evangelist. That's what it means to preach repentance. That is what you and I are called to both exemplify exemplify, and preach to the world around us. That's the first stream that we find in the three streams of the Anglican church. And that's the first stream that we see the apostles do. The second stream is that they are working in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, before the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came down on certain times for certain occasions to certain people. We see the Holy Spirit at work through the Old Testament and into the New Testament before the day of Pentecost, but only in these limited manners. The apostles were able to go out and work in the, uh, in the manner of Jesus because they had the work of the Holy Spirit in them. After the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit is poured out on all, every believer, not just the apostles, every believer was commanded and called to go out in the world and do the power and the work that Christ had done himself. Remember, Christ said, when you, uh, you will do greater things than me. A lot of times in this world, we scoff at those ideas. We look at ideas like casting out demons and healing the sick as if these were backwards thinking for an uneducated group of people 2000 years ago. But ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, listen to me. We live in a world where our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual powers of darkness. And make no mistake, there are spiritual powers of darkness around us all the time. You are not helpless to these spiritual powers of darkness because you have been filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. You have been commanded and given the authority that Christ gave to the apostles to go out and to cast demons. Sometimes in nice, polite churches, we write these things off for the crazy charismatics. But let me tell you, if this isn't central to the ministry of every Christ follower, we will unwittingly succumb to the attack of the enemy. I want to give you an example. When I was living in Dalton, my son Jack was about three at the time, maybe four. He's 17 now. Jack was having night terrors. There was a man that had moved in next door to us that Brandy felt like it just something evil was present in him and in his home. One night, Jack was having these night terrors. And I went in to comfort him, and he just wouldn't stop crying. It might've been two o'clock in the morning or something like that, but he was screaming and he wasn't stopping. Now, parents, you know what that's like when your three or four year old is crying in the middle of the night and you are exhausted and all you want to do is go to sleep and your child won't stop crying and you start to find yourself losing your temper. I laid there and I prayed for Jack and I said, Lord, please help Jack and please calm him down. Lord, I, I just pray God. I was doing all of those things half asleep, not really knowing what I was praying and it wasn't stopping and my temper was starting to get more and more agitated and I was about to give up and I even hollered at Jack at one point. I was like, Jack, just stop crying. And then I clearly heard Christ say, repent. and it was deep in my soul. And I laid there and for the next five minutes, I repented of all the sins that could come into my mind. And then finally, once I felt like my repenting had been done, I prayed for the casting out of the enemy. And like that, Jack stopped crying. The temperature in the room, I am not exaggerating, dropped by about 10 degrees. I stopped sweating. Jack curled up next to me, put his arms around me, and he said, Dad, I love you. And he went to sleep. You see, these different streams are actually tied together intimately. Without repentance, we can't know the work and the power of the Holy Spirit and the work that he can do through us. I needed to repent first. And at that moment, I was able to take charge in the authority and in the name of Jesus Christ and bind the enemy from the attack that was happening. Now we found out later, and this is a story maybe for another day, but the man next door to us was really engaged in some evil things after he moved out. Or he was engaged in evil things then, we found out after he moved out. Athens, is a strategically placed location. Here in this town, you have people from all over the world coming to study, the best and the brightest from just about every country you can imagine. Can you imagine what it would be like for St. Thomas to boldly preach the gospel and to live into the power and the authority that we are given to cast out demons? And then, to celebrate the sacraments. Now we get to the third and the final of the streams that we see right here. You might think that it's a little bit of a stretch to talk about anointing with oil and healing the sick as sacramental. But a sacrament is an outward sign of an invisible and inward grace. There's nothing magical about anointing people with oil, but it is something that we see in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And it is an outward sign of the power and the authority and the work of the mighty triune God as he comes in and does the work that he promises to do. Make no mistake, God heals today. God heals physically God heals spiritually, God heals emotionally, and we are in a world that is as broken and wounded as you can possibly imagine. If we were just to walk on the other side of the fence, out from underneath the pavilion, we would engage 150,000 people that have a level of brokenness in their life that some of us might not be able to imagine and fathom. and in the power and the work of the Holy Spirit, and in the power and the work of the Holy Sacraments, God brings healing to a broken world. We engage in this outward and visible sign, not of oil like the apostles did, although that is something we do in the Anglican church. We anoint the sick and pray over them with oil. Every Sunday at the church that I'm serving at, I go back and I'm a part of the prayer team and we have our, our anointing oil and people come back for prayer and we anoint their foreheads and their lips and their arms and whatever else, their hands and whatever else they need anointed because we're a sacramental church that believes that God is at work in the outward and visible signs in order to bring an inward and spiritual grace. And in just a moment, for those of you that are baptized followers of Christ, as you come to this table and you receive this body and the blood of Christ, you are receiving a healing for your body, for your spirit, for your mind, for your soul. Like I said, when I first came across the Anglican world and I realized that the charismatic, the evangelical and the sacramental could be under one roof, I was blown away. And I stand behind that today Folks, I love all the other churches that are preaching the gospel in Athens and in the state of Georgia and in the United States and in the world. I have so much respect for our brothers and sisters in other denominations, but I have only found a few churches in my life that allow these three streams to run together and to form one mighty powerful river that can change the course of history. Like I said, you are here in Athens, a world that is, a, a, a city that is influential worldwide. I can remember when I was uh, in school here, uh, it was kind of in the beginning of the heyday of the environmental movement. And I can remember Michael Stipe saying uh, on some live recording, he echoed a phrase from the environmental movement uh, that was big at the time that he, it was think local or think global, act local. Do you remember that phrase, maybe a little bit, maybe some of you? Think about it. If we as a church think globally, if we think about the world around us and the kingdom that is to come and the kingdom through Jesus Christ that can transform the globe, but we act locally where we're at, the ripple effect of what you do right here in Athens, Georgia can change the world because there are students, there are professors, and there are other people that have come from every corner of this globe right here to Athens, Georgia. And if St. Thomas can live into these three streams, evangelical, charismatic, and sacramental, you can change the world. The revival that this world so desperately needs can start right here under this pavilion or in the chapel of the botanical gardens, through the power of the sacraments, through the power of the preaching of the gospel, through the casting out of demons, through the evangelical, the charismatic, and the sacramental. William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, said, I am not waiting for the movement of God. I am the movement of God. Brothers and sisters, St. Thomas is the movement of God right here in Athens, Georgia. And you can make a change in this world that can sweep the globe and bring a revival of the Holy Spirit and the kingdom of Christ to a world that is broken and desperately needs it. Come to this table hungry, Come to this table knowing that in just a moment you will be filled with the power of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit will come alive in you, that you will be given over to the Father and the work of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit will come alive in your midst, amen.